Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm excited today uh, to kick off a brand new series. I'm so glad that everybody's here. And um, today and over the next few weeks, I'm actually going to be kind of slowing down a little bit and and doing a little bit of teaching. Um, And I love teaching. I think that there's power um, in teaching and kind of not just hearing about Jesus, but kind of pulling his words into our lives and kind of living them out. And so um, if today's your first day at City Grace, I I think this is an awesome day for you to be here. We're kicking off a brand new series for the next, you know, three weeks or so. We're going to be talking um, about this idea of the new rules for love, sex, and dating. And um, I I do want to say that that just to kind of take some of the mystery out of this, this material is not um, original to me. This is actually a book that you can go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you buy books. You can actually buy this book for yourself. Um, It's from Pastor Andy Stanley back on the East Coast. Um, And I just have found in this material, I I think, you know, for myself, this material, what I have found in the principles in here, there's all kinds of stuff and junk in the world, right? I mean, just there's too much brokenness. Can we all just agree on that? Yeah, I mean, like whatever your your moral stances are, um, if you're new to Christianity, new to following Jesus, whatever, you're trying to figure out how it all applies to life and relationships and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on, but I think one thing we could all kind of get around is the idea that there is just too much pain and brokenness in relationships in our world. And so, uh, you know, as a Christian and and trying to figure this stuff out and gain some clarity, um, you know, from the Bible and how to apply it to our day and time, uh, I think that as a person, the material that I found in this study has really, really enriched me as a husband. I think that this, these principles that we're going to cover the next few weeks have really, really helped me as a parent. You know, coming up, my, my kids are getting into the later teen years now. And, and then finally, as a pastor now, um, there's just been so much that I've gained out of this that I wanted to share it with you um, here in the church. And, and so I, I just, uh, why try and reinvent the wheel? And, and Pastor Andy Stanley has done an amazing job with this study. And so again, you can find this book online. It looks just like that. That's the cover art right there. Um, but in Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and you can actually follow along. And what you read in the book, you'll kind of hear echoed in the sermons here as we go through this study the next few weeks. Um, but it is so, so important to have these kinds of talks, right? And anybody ever have the talk with your mom and dad? Y'all are embarrassed. Y'all are meant to, like, you don't want to admit it in church, right? Anybody ever? Yeah. One brave soul. God bless you. I did too. You're going to find out a little bit about that. But anybody ever had the talk with your mom and dad, right? Anybody? And you don't have to raise your hands for this one. Anybody, by the time your mom or dad tried to give you the talk, you could have given the talk? (laughs) Right? Like, mom, dad, you, you, any parents in here dreading the talk? Can I hear an amen from parents that are dreading the talk? Big amen, you know, like, the yeah, I think, and this is where I'm going to throw my dad a little bit under the bus. Love you, dad. My dad dreaded the talk, and I'm pretty sure that I can say that with confidence because my dad waited, drum roll please, until my wedding night to try and give me the talk. Kid you not, true story. Chelsea and I eloped. We ran off to Tahoe to get married. Mom and dad um, came up along with some of the other family a little bit later to kind of celebrate with us. Uh, they had missed the ceremony. That wasn't their fault. It was my fault. They had missed the ceremony, but we had had it videotaped. It was at Harrow's at Tahoe. Uh, we didn't get married by Elvis. That's a different thing. We, we got married. It was nice. Um, our officiant looked like he was a used car salesman, had about 40 front teeth. It was kind of interesting. But anyway, we got married, had the video of it, went back to the honeymoon suite with all of our family. That wasn't weird at all. Uh, Went into the honeymoon suite so that we could show them the video. And then, you know, I'm trying to kick everybody out of the room. Don't know why, just, you know, in a hurry for everybody to leave. And, and, And my dad pulls me into the bathroom to start talking to me about the talk. Yeah, on my wedding night, in my honeymoon suite. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Good news is I have two kids, which means that with a little bit of prayer and fasting, Chelsea and I figured everything out. So it's just, so this series, it's a little bit like the talk, but it's not exactly the talk. There's not going to be any show and tell. 
We're not going to have a lesson on my changing body. That's not going to happen in this series. Um, so this series is kind of intended to be like the talk, but this is kind of for relationships. And, and yeah, we're going to talk about sex a little bit. Yay, me. That's going to be fun. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's more about relationships. It's like a talk about relationships. And so, yes, I think there's a lot here to be gained. Um, if you're of dating age, late teens, early 20s, young adults, maybe you're just single or maybe you're single again, I think there's a lot here for you. But for the rest of us that are married, like, don't be tempted to check out. Like, listen, this can really help a marriage. And, and, and even your platonic relationships, your, your friendships, your coworker relationships, there's a lot here. Why? Why is this so important that we talk about this? Here's the thing. God created the world perfect. And I'm going to talk about this. I talk about this all the time. The City Grace family already knows this. I put everything within the framework of this story, and I'm going to do it every single time to the point where I hope you get sick of it. Because if you get sick of it, hopefully that means you remember it. So, But within the framework of the Bible and the story that the Bible is trying to tell, God created a perfect world. And in fact, the world was so perfect that people walked around naked. Like, why is that detail in there, right? Like, was that just put in there to keep men's attention? Or, you know, like, what's, why, why do you have to tell us that? And so I've actually thought about this. This is kind of my take on the thing. Anybody have any baby pictures of yourself where you're, you know, naked in the front yard? Anybody remember that, right? And, and uh, you know, our kids, you know, we put them out in the front yard naked playing with a, with a kiddie pool, you know, and there's just something about, you know, and, and one thing, let me just give you a word of warning. Um, it's only okay to get naked in your front yard and play, take pictures of yourself in a kiddie pool if you are a baby. Um, you know, if your weird uncle tries it, he's going to get arrested. I can pretty much guarantee that. But there's just something about babies and naked babies, right, and little... Right? I think I could say this, and maybe they'll delete it off the podcast. There's some about baby butts, right? right? And they got dimples in them, which, by the way, also it's only okay for the dimples when you're a baby. Some reason that, you know, change, somebody changes the rules somewhere. Anyway, keep going on. There, there's this innocence in those pictures, right? It's just, it feels right. Like the world just feels good when your kids jump out of the bathtub. And Caleb used to have this little duck blanket, you know, the little duck thing that went over and just run around the house naked and just, you know, it's just, and God created the world. And I think that on purpose, the author and God is, God used the author to write the beginning of the Bible. I think this is on purpose that when he created everything, he wanted to convey just how good and perfect and innocent the world was. And so we see these, these people that are put on, put into this perfect world, and, and they're naked, and there's innocence, and everything's good. And then like by page three of the Bible, everything gets messed up, and they got to put clothes on. And we've been fighting with clothes that are too small for us ever since then. But by then, sin began to dominate the human experience, tragically, sadly, Sin began to dominate the human experience, and people that were created in the image of God suddenly started to look very unlike God in their image, in the way that they behaved and treated each other. And we all know that power kind of got messed up, and, and we see that just in our own lives, or maybe through war or slavery, that kind of thing. Power got messed up. Truth got twisted, right? All of a sudden, lies entered the arena of human conversations and human relationships and, and politics, right? Uh, greed kind of gained ground in, in, in people's hearts, and and trust in God, just, just simple, innocent trust in a good God, just got all tangled up with selfish ambitions and just not trusting God and, and trying to do our own thing. So it's no surprise, or it shouldn't be a surprise, that with everything else, all the other pieces and parts of the human experience that got warped and twisted and broken when sin entered the world, it's no surprise that sex and relationships also got broken and got twisted, and sadly, I could go around this room, we could take the time and ask every person here, and probably every single person in this room, we've seen it, right? We've experienced this brokenness. We were, we were raised with this brokenness, right? We grew up in this brokenness. And when all we know is kind of a broken and a distorted view of sex and marriage and relationships, the, the tragedy is or the danger is that over time, we can start to accept broken relationships and broken ways of doing relationships as kind of the normal way to do relationships, and without intending to, and without even really thinking about it, not even consciously, we can perpetuate broken relationships and broken habits within our relationships. I, I've heard this from people, and the research is showing it more and more commonly in, the, in the, the current generation and the generation that's up and coming. People are saying more and more commonly, I never want to get married. 
That's tragic. It's tragic. But listen, if that's you, and maybe that's where you are, I don't judge you. If that's all you have seen is dysfunction and pain and brokenness in marriage, why would you want to get married? If that's the only inevitable path that a marriage will take, nobody wants any part of that, and I am with you. But as we saw in the last few lessons, I, I want to give you some hope today that when Jesus came, part of the, the, the big thing that Jesus came to do, he came to fix all of the broken images that we have in our lives. He came to show us how to leverage power for those that need it the most. He came and he taught us how to invest and, and leverage our resources and our money to use it for people that needed it maybe more than we do. And so it is also with the picture of love and marriage and, and relationships. Jesus came to show us a broken way. And yes, marriage can last forever. Yes, there can be peace and joy and hope and beauty in marriage. There really can. There really can be. But Jesus was single. Is that the answer? <laughs> no, it's not the answer. I promise that's not where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah. No, but Jesus modeled the right kind of relationship and his love with the church. I don't want to get too deep into that. If you've ever read any of the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about the church being the bride of Christ. That's not just poetic language. It's actually a necessary piece to understanding how Jesus came to fix the picture of love and relationships. And so I'm hoping in this series that you're going to begin to see relationships in such a way, and maybe it's a new way for some of us, but I want you to begin to see love and marriage and relationships in such a way that you can begin to believe and to hope in it again. I want you to begin to dream about it again. If you're already married, I want you to start working on it again. Make it a reality in your life, in your marriage, and I'll make it a reality in Chelsea, and I'll make it a, marriage, a reality in our marriage as well. So, so in this series, I know we're going to find some great uh, uh, dating stuff. I mean, if you're you know, young, kind of newly single, you're single and ready to mingle, right? You know, just... For y'all, I know there's going to be some good stuff. If you're single again, maybe you've been through a tough relationship or two, and, but anybody looking for permanence, you're going to enjoy this. Anybody that's looking for marriage material, anybody that's hoping to be a, a, a couple and wanting a partner that, like, you're going to get up in front of all your friends and all your families and promise, like, you know, till death do us part, like, you're going to like this series. Now, here's who's not going to like this series. If you're a sport dater, Right? If you're a recreational dater, maybe we can call it if you're a serial dater. Like, you know, if you're a serial dater, you're not going to like the series. If you're just in it for fun and it doesn't really matter to you if it lasts or not because you were thinking about jumping into another relationship in a little bit anyway. It's like easy come, easy go. You got like Santa's naughty list going on your chest, right? Like every time there's a new thing, it's a new name and you just put a line through the name above you, right? It's just... You know, you got all this going, and then this won't be your favorite series. You know, I'm sorry, it won't. But listen, even if you are a serial dater, <laughs> that sounds really bad. Even if you are just, you know, you're kind of in that stage of life. You're not really sure you want to settle down. Listen, you need to know this stuff. You need to know that there is a different way to look at marriages and love and romance. And for your future relationships, you need to understand some of the things that we're going to talk about. And one of the things that we're going to talk about in this series, it's a principle I want to introduce right off the top, and we're going to come to this over and over again. It's this idea that your present will someday be your past, and it will present itself in your future. Any older people in the room can give a hearty amen to this. That what you are currently living as your present as time goes on, will eventually become part of your past. But here's the danger, that your past has a way of sneaking itself into your future. And at the most inopportune times, it can rear its ugly head and it can bite you when you were not expecting it. Maybe I can put it another way. Married people, when married people go for counseling, when married people look for help, they usually don't need counseling or help for married people problems. What happens is that married people used to be single people. And when they were single people, they had issues and problems that then followed them into their married life. And when you get to unpacking what's going on in their relationships, when you get to looking at the root causes of some of the things that they're struggling with, most of the times what you find out is what they are experiencing in their future is a symptom of something that was present in their past. 
And, and we talk about, um, in, in, you know, I, I marry people. I haven't married that many people in my young pastoral career, and there's a whole big, fat, hairy conversation about that. I might not marry people in the future. I don't know. I've been talking with Bishop about this. But there's this thing that we use right now, a, a, a curriculum, I guess you might call it, a study course. If somebody wants to be married, we require anybody that, or I require anybody that wants me to marry them to go through this course, and it's called Save Your Marriage Before It Starts. And it was done by um, some amazing psychologists, some, some Christian pastors. Um, there's a ton of research in there. But it's interesting, that title, right? Save your marriage before it starts. In other words, like the issues that you're going to face later that could destroy your marriage, they're actually present before you even begin a marriage. And you've got to take care of those things. You've got to find those things. And there's a ton of psychology in that study course because they understand what we are saying here with this, that your present will someday be your past and it will present itself in your future. And the stuff you do and the relationships that you have, maybe even the relationships that that you've had or maybe relationships that you've seen or that raised you, whatever, all of it matters, And if you don't handle those things that can derail you, they might only bump you off a little off course here, but over time you end up missing the mark by miles and miles and miles. So we're going to come back to this again and again, and this is kind of an overarching um, idea that we want to touch on, but uh, what I really want to jump into today uh, and and something that I really want to leave you with in lesson one of this series is, is I want to tackle a myth that's out there in the world, and this is something that's just everywhere. This is not just in secular society. I find this in Christian homes, in Christian conversations, in secular world, uh, in the secular world, of course. It's just, it's just everywhere. There's a myth that exists in the world, and you probably know this. Oh, Zach, I'm not controlling. Am I controlling this? My phone died, Zach. Can you help me out? Go on. Boop, 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 boop. Somebody whisper the Jeopardy music. There we go. There's a myth in society that is this myth. We might call it the right person myth. Everybody say it with me. Once I find the right person, everything will be all right. Ready? Let's say it again. Once I find the right person, everything will be all right. And all the married people in the room are laughing. Why are all the married people in the room laughing? Because we know that this is just fantasy. It's fiction. It's fiction. Once I find the right person, everything will be all right. Everything will work out all right. And here's the thing. I'm going to go through a fiction right now. I'm going to go through a little narrative. And this, this might be your story. It might be part of your story. You might hear parts of your story. In this. this could be a, a script for a soap opera. Like we can handle season 10 of something right now. We could do it. This is like a movie script right now. And sadly, sadly, because this is everywhere, because it has even seeped into Christianity and Christian homes, we end up believing this myth that this is the way that things are supposed to happen, that you need to go look for the right person. And after many, many miles of searching for the princess that's in the castle, you find the right person, and it turns out that the princess has been looking, or the prince maybe has been looking for the right person as well. Both of you were looking for the right person, and you didn't even know it. And suddenly, you meet someone, and I think this is the right person. And you know what it is that kind of lets you know that it's the right person? Can I tell you what it is that lets you know that it's the right person? Help me out, Zach. Because you have butterflies. That's how you know that you have, that you met the right person. It's magical. There was a string symphony came out of somewhere. And all of a sudden, when our eyes locked across the room, I just knew and I, I felt butterflies in my belly. And I, we talked for hours and I couldn't keep my, my mind off of him. And he couldn't keep his mind off, he couldn't keep his hands off me either. But we couldn't keep our minds or our hands off of each other. And he's the one or she's the one. So we start dating. And then... Start doing more than dating, right? Because don't forget the prevailing wisdom of our culture, the culture that we live in, right? The prevailing wisdom of our culture is, hey, look, you wouldn't buy a car without a test drive. You wouldn't even buy shoes without trying them on first. Can I? No, don't say amen to that, right? 
So common wisdom in our society is, well, let's try intimacy. We got to try sex. You know, we got to try sex before marriage because we, we got to get that right. That's really important. We got to find out if we're sexually compatible. I know that's true because I read it in Teen Vogue last month. So we got to make sure that we are sexually compatible. And guess what helps sex feel? No, don't guess what helps sex feel is great. Like y'all are going to go everywhere with that. Like you're in church. Knock it off. Let me take back that question and re. Within the context of this example, do you know what helps sex feel great? Butterflies. Butterflies make it amazing. Can I hear any married people with a memory say, oh, yes? <laughs> All right. So and at this point in the relationship, like you can't even hear anybody, right? You can't even listen to anybody that's telling you to slow down because, oh, the butterflies and the chemistry and, and the romance and how can it be wrong when it feels so... <laughs> that line's hilarious. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? And then it gets even worse because people at this point of a relationship, guess what people of the, at this point of a relationship believe? They believe that no one, has ever had a love like our love. My mama don't know what she's talking about. My dad doesn't know. My friends just don't understand. I'm not even going to waste my time talking to pastor. He's getting old, has gray beard, like he couldn't ever possibly know. This is special. This is so unique, right? And, and we go out to dinner, and we talk on the phone, and we text, and we laugh at the dumbest jokes. In it. And then we get dressed up for each other, and she paints on a fake face and puts on fake eyelashes, and he's okay with it because he doesn't realize that those come off at night. Like, he just, oh, and everything's Amazing, and he's my soulmate, and she's my soulmate. And they believe it. They believe it. And they're in, and they buy in. And people get married because of butterflies. People get married because of a feeling. People get married because of chemistry. And the thing about butterflies is this. Do you know that the average lifespan of butterflies is one month? True story. Like, you can Google it if you don't believe me. It's the average lifespan of butterflies. It's a month. Butterflies aren't made to last. Butterflies aren't permanent. And these people have gotten into a serious relationship. Maybe they're living together or, the, you know, they, they got married just based on a feeling, but they haven't done anything to really build a relationship or build the kind of skills that you need, the tools that you need to have a long and enduring relationship. I mean, why would I need patience? He's never made me impatient. Why would I need to learn how to forgive? The only thing she's ever made me sorry for is that I didn't find her sooner. Mm, yeah, come on, somebody. We haven't worked on patience, kindness, forgiveness, all of these things that make a relationship last. So they get married. And then after they get married or then after they move in together and they live together for a long time, they have problems, but they don't have chemistry problems. They don't have butterfly problems. What they have is relationship problems because now it's more than just butterflies. Now you are in a relationship. But we thought love was going to conquer all. No, no, no. You thought butterflies were going to conquer all. We thought we were going to live on love. No, no, no. You thought you were going to live on butterflies. There's not much meat on a butterfly. Have you ever looked at that? There's just not... Enough to sustain you. And so married people or couples living together have suddenly relationship problems. And when you have relationship problems, say bye-bye to the butterflies. It's gone and the chemistry quits. And then their story changes. They go from nobody's ever had a love like ours to no one's ever had problems like our problems. And now they got to find some answers fast because the thing's starting to swirl the drain, starting to circle the drain, right? Things are feeling bad. Guys, come on, guys. We got a one-track mind. So you ask the guy, what's going to fix your, 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 your relationship? What's missing from your relationship? The guys think, well, I got to get more butterflies. And I know what gives me butterflies. Sex. And to guys, sex is like duct tape, right? 
Like you can fix anything with duct tape. You can fix anything with sex. But that's not the answer for her, is it? I'm not just a piece of meat. I have feelings and thoughts, and my voice is cracking. It is, we need to talk more. You need to be more nurturing, right? She wants to talk, and he wants to do a lot less talking. And usually her within the relationship. Listen, usually it's her within the relationship that thinks, hey, I know what will get us talking more. I know what will help him be more nurturing. We need to bring some magic back into our relationship. What's more magical than a baby? And guys, so dumb. You know what the guy says? Well, that does require sex. <laughs> right? Now look, maybe you know someone that this is their story. Maybe you've seen movies, soap operas. Maybe it's part of your story. Single people, you need to know this. If you follow the myth, the right person myth, into a relationship, your path is predictable. You will put all of your hopes and all of your dreams onto a person, and that person was not made to hold the weight of all of your past issues. You will put unrealistic expectations on your partner. Sadly, sometimes people put unrealistic expectations on their children. And when everything falls apart, we're left holding the empty bag and wondering why. And if you follow the right person myth, this is all predictable. How is it all so predictable? I'm going to pop some bubbles this morning. But listen to me. It's all so predictable because we are not as unique and we are not as special as we like to think that we are. And that might seem a little harsh. That might seem a little bit cold, but it should actually give you a lot of hope because it also means that the answers that you need, the solutions that you are hoping are out there, they are out there, and they fit a ton of different circumstances. And so you are not left without hope. Your lack of uniqueness is actually a sign of hope to you. that There is a different future for you. But now she's pregnant. Then the baby comes along. Pretty soon, she's all wrapped up in the baby. And by this time, the guy's been out of duct tape for a long time. Like he can't even find scotch tape in the house. Like There's just no tape anywhere, right? He's feeling on the outs, and he goes back to work, and he's at work. And one day, a female coworker walks by, and she smiles at him. She starts talking to him about the boring Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Rams, and kind of makes a joke, and he smiles, and then all of a sudden, he, it's like he stops, and he realizes something. You know what he realizes in that moment to himself, what he thinks he realizes in that moment? This is what he thinks he realizes. I married the wrong person because I was looking for the right person, and when I had the butterflies, it felt like she was the right person, but now I don't feel that same chemistry with her, and I just felt spark, a spark of chemistry with somebody else, so maybe... The first right person wasn't really the right person. Maybe now, maybe now I found the right person and I ended up marrying the wrong person. So now he's a little more distant, right? Now she's thinking, well, maybe I need to go back to the gym. I got to get fit back in shape again. And she goes to the gym and she runs into Jim. Jim at the gym. You know, she used to date Jim. High school boyfriend, Jim, and she knows Jim's family. You know, Jim, you've aged pretty well, actually, Jim. You look pretty good, and she laughs, and she chats with Jim, and as she walks out of the gym that day, you know what she realizes? I married the wrong person because there is a myth out there that when I find the right person, everything will automatically be all right, and it's a fairy tale. And it's not true. And it's not the key to lasting and happy marriages and relationships. And the sad truth is that second marriages have a much higher failure rate than first marriages. If this was true, then that fact wouldn't be true. And it's also true that third marriages, their success rate and survival rate are absolutely dismal. And so singles, you need to know this. The right person thing 
It's a myth. And if you're thinking that once I find the right person, everything will be all right, you have bought into the hype. You have followed a fantasy. You have swallowed the fairy tale, hook, line, and sinker. And this is everywhere. It's in advertising. It's in our children's stories. It's in magazines. It's in movies. It's in music. It's everywhere. But what I hope to have us see by the end of this series is that there is a better way forward on offer. It is gooder than this. It is better than this. And this is the big idea for today. And this is what we're going to keep coming back to in this series as well. And, and I'm praying that not just your, your head, but your heart will kind of start to feel this and start to hope for this and start to, to work on this in yourself. In contrast, or the contrast rather, to the right person myth is this idea right here. That instead of finding the right person, the key to future hap- my future happiness is becoming the right person person. I don't need to find the right person. I need to become the right person and meet someone else who is just as determined to become the right person for me. See, this is what nobody told married people before. This is what our society refuses to celebrate. And I get why they refuse to celebrate. It's boring. If there was a reality TV show about my parents' marriage, it would be the most boring TV show ever. But yet they're somewhat happy. It's amazing. They're somewhat compatible living together. And, and this, is a, this is why, though, so many people, they've bought into this myth, and this is why so many married people wake up years down the road and they wonder, what happened to the butterflies? What happened to the passion? What happened to the fire? And we feel more like roommates than we do romantic partners. We feel more like a two-man team that have come together to raise some kids than we feel like romantic partners. And the problem is that we spend so much of our time and so much of our energy trying to find the right person, and we never take the time. We never get intentional about becoming the right person for a relationship. And So this is the new rule. For dating, this is the new rule for romance. This is the new rule for relationships. And it is life-changing. It is life-changing and it is life-bringing. There was um, part of the research, one, one of the reasons, as a matter of fact, this story caught me. This, this story caught in my heartstring and it's something that I've never forgotten from the first time that I read this. Uh, part of the research that went into this study that we're doing for the book that Andy Stanley wrote um, they, they had some focus groups and they had some researchers go and, and they actually got some focus groups together of young people who were dating um, and, and just at that time, I think it was about five years or so ago that they did this research and, and uh, they, they went to college students, they went to young professionals, they went to these adults that were kind of wrapped up and caught up in the dating scene and they brought them together and they had these focus groups and questions and there was one girl in particular, a college girl, um, that her story stood out to me and it just absolutely broke my heart but it gave me some hope as well and and so they met with this group of daters, and there was this young girl in this, this focus group of people that were trying to navigate the new way or the modern way of dating and relationships and kind of going from relationship to relationship. And this young girl came from a Christian home. She came from a Christian background. She had been to, to youth camps and Sunday school and, and youth conventions and all of these kinds of things and gone through high school and graduated high school with good grades, and then she moved away to college. Well, when she moved away to college, she decided that she was going to park everything that she had been raised with in a, in a spot apart from her life. She was going to take all of her values, all of her Christian experience, and kind of put it on the shelf. And she jumped with both feet into the single, the dating, uh, college life. And, I mean, she went hard. She became a partier, and she just did a lot of stuff. And, and um, you know, she, she told the researchers, I never really stopped believing. There was never really this moment where I, I didn't believe in God anymore. But I just took all of that and I just kind of put it in the closet for a while. And I left it there. And I went out and decided that I was going to do life my own way. And I kind of walked away from God. And she lived the party life. And she did some things. And she says in her own words, she went some places that she wished she hadn't gone. And some things she wished she hadn't done. And her Christian parents were still kind of distantly in her life, you know. But they were back home while she was at college. And they loved her. And they were, they were brokenhearted for her. But she was a young adult now. She was on her own, and she bounced from relationship to relationship looking for the right guy, looking for the right guy. And then there was one night somewhere, and it doesn't really say what kind of gathering she was at. It doesn't seem like it was like, you know, a frat party or anything like too wild. There was some kind of gathering, though, and she went to, 
And at this party, at this gathering, she met the most amazing guy. She met a guy that was tall and handsome and, 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 and had the personality and the charm. And as she stayed around him and talking with him and this little group of people, and she found out that he had a job and the career and he had already done the education. And, and she was absolutely smitten with this guy. And so she stayed close to him and started talking to him a little bit more. Well, as she got to talking to him a little bit more, it came out that this young man was a Christian. And his faith had begun to influence like every part of his life. And as she, she listened to him and talked to him, she realized that his faith was influencing his life decisions. And it, it had influenced his career decisions. And it, from the way he was treating her and treating some of the other girls at the gathering, it was clear that his faith was even influencing his dating you know, a life and an aspect of his life. And, and his goals and behaviors just didn't seem to be what the other guys were. And, and she told the researchers in the focus group that as she listened to him talk about his relationship with God and what God had done for him, that it began to stir in her memories of what she had left and memories of the things that she had kind of, you know, packed away and put in the closet, some values that she had, she had denied from her life, taken out of her life in order so she could embrace this kind of college way of doing life and of dating. And, and that she said by her own admission, it just wasn't working out for her. And so she meets the guy, smitten with the guy, head over heels for this guy. Like, wow, this guy really could be the one. But there was no connection. And so she went back home. I, I don't know how long after that. And, and when she gets back home, she starts talking to her mom. And she starts telling her mom, Mom, I met this guy. He's amazing. He's so handsome, and he's got his career just, I mean, all put together, and he's got the education and, and character and values. And, and mom, mom, he's a Christian, and his faith is influencing, you know, so much about her, you know, his life. And, and she said, she tells the researchers, she tells the people leading the group that her mom, in that conversation, she hadn't forgotten it, that her mom turned to her, and she said, honey, the problem is a guy like that isn't looking for a girl like you. Ouch. 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 And she said she remembers just literally falling to the floor right there, right in front of her mom. And she began to weep and to cry because she knew that what her mom was saying was exactly right. That a guy like that wasn't looking for a girl like her. Now, here's the beautiful part of this story. That moment completely changed this girl's life. That, that sentence spoken to her from a mom that was brokenhearted for her, it changed her life. And she decided in that moment that I'm, I'm going back to school, but life's going to change. I'm going back to school, but my values are going to change. My friends are going to change. My habits are going to change. And, and the way that I date is going to change because I don't ever want to be in the circumstance again where when I find the guy that I think has all of the things that I'm looking for, that it turns out that I am not the kind of girl that he is looking for. And so today, the big question, the big takeaway from today the thing that I want you to wrestle with, the thing that I hope bugs you and bothers you and you can't get away from, is this question right here. Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Come on, say it with me. Are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? Wow, wow. Now think about that. Everybody has a list. We've all got a list of what we hope they look like, what we hope they do, and what we hope they don't do, right? We want them to have a certain kind of job. We, we want this in their past, but we certainly don't want that in their past, right? I, I want him to do these things, but he can't have those addictions. I don't want her to spend her time with that, but I hope she spends a lot of her time with that. But do, do we realize sometimes that the person that we are looking for has a list as well? But we don't ever think about that because we're just looking for the right person and the right person is going to have everything that I have on my list. And we don't even think about the fact that the right person has a list of their own. And so maybe your answer to this question is no, I'm, I'm not the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. Then I would say a follow or ask a follow-up question. Are you intentionally becoming 
the person that the person you are looking for is looking for? Are you cutting some things out of your life? Are you adding some things onto your life that you know they are going to want? Are you adding the behaviors and the habits and and the financial habits and the financial situation and and the forgiveness piece and, and the healthy home life? Are you doing all of these things so that when you meet the one that you have been looking for, that you are still the one that they are looking for as well? Or are you chasing a fairy tale? Are you chasing after a myth? Someday, I'm magically, magically going to run into the right person. And I'm, going to look for high, I'm going to look for castles with high up windows and wait for the princess to throw down her hair. Hopefully, it's still attached. I'm going to slay the dragon. And our love will be made from magic, come from providence. And somehow, but I don't know how, some way, but I'm not really sure that I know the way to find a person like that. Or will you decide today that I'm not just hunting anymore, I'm not just looking or searching anymore. Today, starting today, I intend, I am progressively going to become the person who the person I'm looking for is looking for. Now, here's the thing, and uh, I know this is teaching today, it's not a lot of hoopla and shouting and all that kind of stuff, but here's the thing, wrapping up this sermon, coming to a close here in the next 30 minutes. Um, When you open up the Bible and look for examples on or help on how to find the right person, the Bible's pretty quiet about that. But when you open the Bible and you start asking the Bible, how can I become the right kind of person? It turns out the Bible lights up. There's a lot of it in there. Now, that's not by accident. It happens that way because God created you for relationships. See, if you believe in creation at any level, and you're not really sure what you believe, but you know, you think there's something out there somewhere, somewhere back along the line, some higher power created everything, then you believe at some level that we were designed and intended and made for relationships. When you look at our makeup physically, we were made for this. When you look at our makeup emotionally and spiritually, we were made for relationships. Everybody say it with me. I was created for relationships. And so it's just natural. This is something you were designed with, that you want somebody to tell you, I love you. It is natural. You were designed to have a need in you, a want in you, that somebody that you love would say to you, I adore you. We are created with the desire and the need to have somebody that we respect say to us, I have such tremendous respect for you. We're designed that when we walk into a room that we want somebody to say to us, hey, when you walked into the room, I light up. When I hear the garage door open, my heart starts beating a little bit faster because I know you're home. Oh, come on, somebody. That's some good loving stuff right there. Come on. No, like half of y'all are convinced. Man, that's, that's the good stuff right there. That's the good stuff. And we all have these desires. And here's the thing about having those desires. Those desires speak to a reality. That is the fingerprint of God on your soul. That's not an evolutionary accident. You can't find love under a microscope. But when you realize and you accept that you were designed for relationships, it all begins to make sense. You were wired to hear somebody tell you, I'm forever yours. No journey. One journey fan in the house, that's it, yeah. I'm forever yours, faithfully bound down, 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 down. Okay. More Journey fans, man. Chicago? Okay, okay. Luther Van Dross? <laughs> Elvis Presley? My mom and daddy here are so old, they're like, Johann Sebastian Bach, you know. Julio Iglesias. <laughs> Woo! Mm. All right. So listen, here's, here's I gotta stop. Okay. Right. Here's the thing. 
If you were made for this, if you were designed for this, here's the really good news. It's possible for you to have this. That is not just a myth that didn't die in American culture 40 years ago. American culture may have taken a detour, but that is still on offer. Those kinds of sentiments of I love you and I can't wait till I hear the garage door open because it means you're home, all that kind of stuff, all of that is still available for you and for me today. Marriage can still be beautiful. We don't need to shelve it. We don't need to can it. There is a better way to go forward. But listen, I don't want you to give up on that dream. I don't want you to fall victim to the cynicism that's out there today that that will never happen again. It can and it will. And if you'll lean into what we're talking about over the next few weeks, it will for you. I give you my word and it doesn't depend on me. I can give you that promise because it doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. You were made for this, but it doesn't happen magically. It doesn't happen accidentally. So the good news is that Scripture lights up when we ask the Scripture, how do I become the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? And one of the ways that the Bible helps us become that person, God's Word helps us become that person, is it helps us, becoming, or it helps us become better at loving other people. And in fact, there's one famous chapter of Scripture that we're going to look at just a a little bit today. It's our chapter of the week. Uh, It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in this chapter, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of what love really is. Because he knew that 2,000 years in the future, there would be somebody who would write a song that would say, I want to know what love is. You guys are totally missing the cues. I'm like... I'm setting it up on a T over here. I want you to show me. Thank you. Let's just, I got to close that for my notes. All right. So he's trying to help us become better at loving others. And so he gives us a list of what love really is because he knew that somewhere along the line, we would get confused as to what real love really is. We would have so many bad examples in our life that we were, would not be sure. We, it would be cloudy or foggy to us. And so he starts to give us a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this list read before. In fact, you had these little cards on some of the chairs when you come in. I want you to take these cards home. I want you to put this in your wallet. We made it business card size so you can see right on the back. There's some of the lists there that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 13. And so in this chapter, uh, well, it, let me say this. I want you with this card here what the goal of these cards are. I want you, whenever you're in a relationship or you're going to go on a date or, you know, whatever it might be, I want you to, before you make the call, before you send the text, I want you to look at this list and I want you to practice one or two of these things on every date, every phone call, every text, whatever. Because you got to start becoming the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And so you have to start practicing how to be this kind of person, all right? But Before you leave, I want to look at a few things on the list in 1 Corinthians 13, things that we need to practice to become the right kind of person. And this first one is hard. Paul starts out with a doozy in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Paul says this, love is patient. We're practicing. (laughs) Love never, ever, pressures the other person ever. Love never pressures the other person ever. Love creates as much space. Love creates as much time as the other person needs. And if you're in a relationship and you are being pushed, pushed, pushed to make a decision or to do something, or maybe you're in the relationship and you're the one pushing pushing, pushing someone to do something. You are not loving them. And they are not loving you. Now here's the thing about patience. See, with the right person myth, we think that we just magically acquire patience the moment that we say, I do. We say, I do at the altar and the little fairy comes along and hits us with the wand and suddenly we are patient people. Does that happen for anybody in the room? No, it didn't happen for anybody in the room. It's developed over time. And so every single date, every single phone call, every single interaction with people that you're not even dating, start to practice. Love is patient. Be patient. You need to get 
better at this. Then Paul goes on to the next one. Paul says, love is kind. Now, this word gets a bad rap, especially among men in our society, so maybe you'll find it a little bit easier to swallow this version of it. Love is considerate. In other words, love takes into consideration what someone else might be feeling. And consideration does not magically become one of your virtues by virtue of you saying, I do. And so before you meet the one that you might want to spend the rest of your life with, it might behoove you to develop consideration, to start asking how the other person feels, to start asking what they are thinking and what they are worried about and what their concerns are before you move forward. So that by the time you meet that one that you weren't looking for, but you met, we'll talk about that in a little bit, by the time you meet them, you will be the most kind and considerate person that they have ever met. See, here's the thing. When people get married and they're looking for the right person, they think, well, I'll just magically, you know, I don't really need to practice kindness. I don't really need to practice being considerate because when I find the right person, we'll so mesh, like we'll just be so much in sync that I'll never need to be kind. I'll never need to pause and consider how they might be feeling because we'll just know how each other's feeling all the time. And our moods and our attitudes will always be in lock step. I thought I'd get more laughter from the married people again there, but you know. And so without becoming kind, and consider it ourselves. We look for kindness, and we look for consideration, and we are surprised when we cannot find kindness or consideration. Paul goes on. He says this, love does not envy. And man, we get love or, or jealousy and, and envy kind of mixed up all the time. They're, they're close cousins. But here's where envy shows up. Envy says this, I don't feel too good about myself, and so I'm going to make sure that you don't feel too good about yourself. This is what envy does. Envy is jealous of someone else's good, so envy has to one-up somebody else's good so that their good isn't as good anymore. Anybody ever hear someone that always has to one-up your story? they got to catch the bigger fish, right? They found the bigger sail. Come on, ladies. I have the tinier waist, said Jared, never. Like, you know, just, I, they always make more money. They have the better job. Paul's saying, love isn't like that. Love lets them win the fishing contest. Love lets all the glory sit with them. We need to practice not being envious of other people. When somebody tells you about something good in their life, you need to practice just saying, wow, and then shut up. <laughs> just be happy for them. Just be happy for them. People get married, though, and they deal with envy. It's a single-person issue that they bring into a marriage. And then they get married, and she makes more money than he does. Ow. He has a better relationship with his family than she does with her family. She got invited to be on the PTA. They want him to coach the softball team, but can you not bring your wife, please? Like, just leave, right? And we're envious, and we have insecurities, and so we start tearing everything down and tearing down a family and tearing down, uh, you know, a career. But, but, you know, now we're starting to wonder, well, surely they can't be the right person because if I found the right person, they wouldn't make me feel envious inside over their good. And Paul was saying, no, 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 you're not getting it. It's about becoming the kind of person that does not envy the good in someone else's life. And he goes on and he says, love does not boast. Love is not proud. This is a hard one. This is a hard one. Some of us grew up in homes where your dad was so proud that he could never admit that he was wrong. Some of us grew up in homes that your mom was so proud she could never admit she was wrong, and it killed the intimacy in that marriage, and it killed honesty within that family, and it turned us into hypocrites and made us hide things. But think of what would happen. Think of what could have been in that family if we were the kind of people who were patient with one another, who were kind to one another, who never envied, and we didn't have to boast or feel proud of everything that we had done. Listen to me, married people in the room. It's not too late. Single again people, you can have another chance at this. 
And if you were single and never been married, people, listen to me. You can have a different future. You have the opportunity now. You can become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Now, there's a couple more and then I'll be done. He goes on and he says this, love does not dishonor others. You know what this means? This means that you will never create a story or an event or a circumstance in their life that they will regret later. That you will never do anything to that person or with that person that later on in their life, they will look back and say, I wish I had never done that. I wish I had never gone there. I I wish I had never been intimate with him or intimate with her. Do you guys remember where we started today? Do you guys remember the thing at the very beginning? That your present will someday be your past and it will present itself in your future. What feels good in a moment, it will follow you into your future and it might haunt your future. It can undermine your future happiness. It can cause comparisons between the one that you think is the one now and the one that you thought was the one years ago. And so love does not dishonor others. Listen, I want to say this, and we're going to get into the sex thing a little bit more next week and the week after that. Listen to me. Consequence-free sex is a myth. It is a fairy tale. It is not true. You are seeing it played out just in such truthfulness in the Me Too movement. This is why the Me Too movement has gained such traction. Because for years, American society, Western society has told us that sex is purely a physical act, that there's nothing spiritual or emotional to it. And yet, when it comes to people that have been sexually assaulted, it's different than just getting beat up and it affects them and it haunts them and it degrades their worth, even though they shouldn't feel that way if they were assaulted. There's something about it. There was something beyond it. And consequence-free sex is a myth. That's good. Y'all need to say amen again. Well, it's quiet, but I'll move on. All right. There is something operating at a deeper level. Society has been telling us this lie over and over and over again, but real love does not, it does not dishonor others. And then the last one for today, love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. In other words, love always seeks out, what, seeks out what is best for the other over what feels best for yourself. Love will always seek out what is best for the other and put that above what feels good for myself. But people don't get this, and this doesn't come naturally. And this is not part of the narrative that's going on in our culture and our society that just perpetuates the myth of, of the right person thing and the free sex thing and all this other kind of stuff. This is why people can go on vacation or business trips or spring break and they can feel chemistry with someone who gives them a fake name. And they knew it was a fake name because they gave them a fake name too. And all they're doing is not seeking out what is best for the other person. You can feel chemistry. Listen to me. You can feel butterflies with people who don't even speak your language. You can feel chemistry. She's yawning while she said, all right. You can feel chemistry. and butter- She's been here before. You can feel butterflies. She knows this material. We can feel butterflies and chemistry with people. Hello. That will break us down who are not good for us. We know this is true because it's the plot line for every single soap opera that exists. You're telling them, don't go there. Don't be with him. Don't be with her. The chemistry is momentary. Butterflies are not permanent. They are self-serving. And if you chase that, listen, you can feel that feeling with a thousand different people. You can walk out this door and be sexually attracted to literally thousands of people, especially the men. And so basing a a long-term relationship on on feelings or butterflies or this thing we call a connection, it's a horrible basis for starting a long-term relationship. It's a myth, and it's not permanent, and it won't last. 
and the rules that our world is playing by, they don't work, they don't last, they don't create anything worth having. If that was the only way to chase forever, I would agree with you that marriage would be disastrous and there would be no reason for any of us to change it, chase it. But there is a different way forward. There is a better life ahead. There are deeper and richer relationships. There are new rules to love, sex, and dating that will not leave you with regret, but they will fill your life with a richness of belonging and of safety and of character and of love that you will never regret and you will always, always cherish. But we're going to have to chase, change some things that we believe. We're going to have to change some of the ways that we approach other people and other relationships. We're going to have to surrender some of our behaviors and attitudes. And, and as a pastor, listen, as a Christian pastor, I'm going to tell you, you got to find someone that you can trust to give you the better way forward. you got to find somebody that you can trust loves you more than anybody else has ever loved you. You've got to take the wisdom and the guidance and the advice of someone who is wiser than you will ever be and hold out hope that the brokenness in us and the brokenness that we grew up with and the brokenness that, quite frankly, we have been chasing and we have lived is not the only way forward, but there is a different way with Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Paul is, given that we can all stand in the room this morning, Paul's giving this list to believers who had a soap opera going on in their church, and Paul ends the story, ends chapter 13 with something that I think just speaks exactly to what we're talking about today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, Paul says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child. Okay, Paul, we get that. When I was a child, I thought like a child. And he's in the love chapter here, right? When I was a child, I reasoned like a child. But he goes on and he says, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, in children's fairy tales, how do they all end? Right? There's this famous line, and after the hero comes and rides the white horse in, and he slays the dragon, or he gets rid of the ugly stepmother or whatever that might be. And he saves the princess and whisks her away on a white horse. There's a famous line that's at the end of every single child's fairy tale. What is it, somebody? And they lived happily ever after. Because in children's stories, if we can just get the two right people together, if Prince Charming, if Prince Charming can just find the right princess, if she can just find the right prince, if he can just find the right foot for the glass slipper to go on, then everything will be all right. And I don't say this judgmentally. In fact, I'd say it probably characterizes the way that, that I dated. I, I talk about this stuff from pain and from grace. I created a lot of pain, and Chelsea is my saving grace. But because of how we are raised and because of our entertainment and because of fairy tales, some of us are still thinking about love like children think about love. Some of us are still thinking about relationships like children think about relationships. And we think, you know, if I had just been born in a different family, you know, if I had just had different parents, then maybe I wouldn't be suffering this. If, if I had just met her before he did, if I had just met him before she got to him because she got to him before me, or maybe you're still just looking ahead into your future. If I can one day find that perfect someone, find the right person, someone with all of these qualities and someone with none of these qualities, then everything will be all right. And we talk about relationships like children do. And we think about relationships like children do. And we reason about our future like children do. But it's time for us to mature in our thinking. And it's time for us to put the ways of childhood behind us. And it's not a movie. And I don't live near a castle. I can't fit in armor. I do know a few dragons. I can't say that. But it's not a soap opera. This isn't a Disney movie. It is better than that. It is richer than that. It's more touchable than that. You can have it. You can grasp it. You can hold on to it. And it will be something that will be worth you never letting go. But we got to put the ways of childhood behind us. 
Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes all over this room? God, this is what you have designed us for. This is what you have given us all of the wisdom that's in the Bible for. This is why you have brought us to a church family. This is why you give your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. It's why you offer forgiveness, but not just forgiveness for our past, redemption for our futures. That there is a different way forward, a way absent of pain. And we see you on the cross showing us what real love is and what real love does. And and we see in you what real love looks like. And we see in you patience. God, you've been so patient with us. We see in you kindness and and humility and the antidote to pride. And we even feel you in this room today. We know that you're here today. And so we ask you, we ask you today, Jesus, would you begin to work on our hearts? Jesus, would you begin to work on our minds? Jesus, would you begin to work on our goals and what we dream about? And instead of looking in vain for the right person, the one that, that ticks all the perfect boxes and will never let us down, no, Instead of looking for the right person, if you will help us today to begin the transformation, to begin the process of becoming the right person, becoming the person that the one I'm looking for deserves in me. Help us, Jesus. We pray. We pray. So I want to leave us with this question again this morning. Am I the person, the person I'm looking for, is looking for? Come on, can you say it with me one more time? Am I the person, the person I'm looking for? is looking for. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.